0: Hello, my little sugar cubes. Welcome to the Fitness Manifest Podcast. If
1: you are not want to do, let's what to, to
0: do. Side effects might include motivation, empowerment, giggles, enlightenment, inspiration. Welcome to another episode of the Fitness Manifest Podcast. My name is Teresa Sedeno. I'm a personal trainer bridging the gap between mental health and fitness. I'm happy to welcome physical therapy assistant, Dan Streb. We're going to be diving into his expertise in physical therapy, injury and recovery. So welcome back, Dan.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: It's great to have you here again and and talking about your expertise. I, I really love talking and learning more about physical therapy. It's just really fascinating how to learn how the body works and how it recovers.
1: It's a pretty fascinating process. Yeah. It's kind of what drew me into physical therapy. Um, when I first started out in getting into physical therapy, it was kind of a roundabout way, um, I was out of work at the time and was trying to find something to do, um, back in 2008 when the economy was kind of going through a recession and my younger brother, he was going to medical school. And he was like, hey, you like being active and physical and you like working with people? He's like, I think physical therapy would be a really good like fit for you. And I was like, okay. Like, I haven't even really thought about that. He's like, yeah, I got a friend who does physical therapy. He drives to people's homes, lifts their arm up and down about 10 times and gets paid. I was like, well, <laughs> I could do that.
0: Sounds like an awesome gig.
1: Yeah, it was a little you know overstated with the simplicity, but <laughs> Yeah. That kind of got my head wrapped around like, hey, maybe this is something that would be a good fit for me.
0: So then for those that don't specifically know what physical therapy is, can you explain in your own words, like, what it, what is the purpose of it? How does it, um, like, help and who it helps?
1: Physical therapy would be the process of retraining the body's muscles to help regain function and to decrease dysfunction when we're talking about movement, I, I think physical therapy is kind of like a critical part of the whole healthcare approach. Um, you go to a doctor because you have an issue, something's wrong, something's hurting, something's not working right. Uh, a lot of times, a doctor will say, Okay, well, let's try physical therapy. And it's usually the first step of Proceeding through the whole healthcare system when something's wrong for two reasons. Number one, the doctor wants to try some sort of intervention where not only is the patient involved, but it's kind of like a lifelong learning process. And then number two, if you look at the economic aspect of it, it's cheaper for the insurance companies to send somebody to physical therapy versus some sort of like imaging. Or lab um, it just makes sense for them to go through the physical therapy route if something can be helped at a cheaper rate then it benefits not only the patient but then also the insurance company carriers as well
0: okay so then if if somebody goes to a physical therapy office or clinic is it usually because they've had an accident or they've experienced an injury or even just somebody that has like some aches and pain?
1: Yes, yes, and yes. Yes, all those things Um, and more. Um, We also work with people who have had strokes. Um, We work with all sorts of age and genders. I've worked on three-year-olds, four-year-olds. I've worked on 90-year-olds. On a variety of different cases, um, a muscular dysfunction, um, movement patterns, um, balance, gait, um, strengthening.
0: Okay, and then most people are referred to you from their physical, their primary physician.
1: Correct, either from a primary physician or orthopedic specialist or some sort of um, healthcare person. We usually will get a referral. Um, there is something in California called direct access, where a patient can come to us, and we can provide physical therapy for them for up to twelve visits before they do have to see a healthcare professional oh. to um, set up not only a like a plan of care through the physician, but they also can check off on our exercise or our therapy program to make sure that it is within not only our scope but also the scope that the physician wants for their patient.
0: Ah, that's good to know. In case somebody wants to take advantage of that and and get some benefit to whatever aches and pains that they're experiencing.
1: Correct. I would just um, advise that if somebody does have health insurance to make sure that direct access is something that their health insurance company would be okay covering.
0: Ah, okay. Okay, good note. And then you... As a physical therapy a f- assistant, you work in a physical therapy office, but is there, what is the difference between a physical therapist and a physical therapy assistant?
1: So a physical therapist is um, the person who would set up the initial evaluation with the patient. Um, they would sit down with the patient and evaluate their issues and their dysfunctions and then set up a plan of care for treatment as a physical therapist assistant, I do everything a therapist would do, except I do not provide that initial evaluation. But I will follow the therapist's plan of care on follow-up visits, and I have the same scope that a therapist would have for treating a patient.
0: Okay, what about like schooling wise? Like I know the physical therapist, I believe is four years of schooling, or? Yeah,
1: it's now a doctorate usually through like a university. So you would do your undergraduate work and then kind of like doing graduate work, but now it's a doctorate. So there is some additional schooling that's required. And the amount of learning has increased over the years for the threshold to become a physical therapist. Uh, For a physical therapist assistant, it's a shorter path because there are some more restrictions to what you can do as a physical therapist assistant. So I went through a private college, which took about two years to complete, and um, for both professions, after you've completed your program, you still have to go through a board exam provided by the state, usually for California's Department of Consumer Affairs, and once you pass their board exam, then you're certified as a physical therapist or physical therapist assistant.
0: Okay. And then, what type of like information are you learning in school? Are you? I mean, obviously, um, you're learning about muscles and um, like physiology. Are there like what else are you are you lear- Do you learn in physical therapy assistant school? Pretty
1: much everything. I mean, like it, it's a lot. but At the same time, it's really good because you have a bigger picture of healthcare and um, how to f- better help your patient. I believe the more knowledge you have the more um, you can bring to the table for your patient. Um, So it might go outside of the scope of treatment, but it's also going to help in planning out like a treatment program for your patient as well. If you have a stronger sense of anatomy, of physiology, of chemistry, it's only going to benefit the patient more.
0: Oh, I absolutely agree. I feel like the more knowledge you have and not only just in one field, but in multiple fields, the easier it is for you to connect different ideas so that, like you said, you can create the best plan for your clients or your, your patients. So when you mentioned lifelong uh, learning experience, are you referring to just patients becoming aware of their own body and how they should be feeling and how they're moving maybe in a dysfunctional way?
1: Yeah, correct. I'd say that when I approach a patient, I try to explain to them that Things I do in the clinic can be short-term when it comes to, like, symptomatic pain or dysfunction, where we kind of set ourselves apart from other people within the healthcare aspect or world, be it like a chiropractor, acupuncture, or something like that. We go one step beyond, and we look at the bigger picture. Not only how can I deal with your pain or dysfunction today, but how can we make it so that you can deal with it long-term, you know? Um, cause a lot of times with issues, they'll come back and they'll mm. be recurring mm-hmm. or chronic. So if you have the tools to address that over a long period of time, let's say you're feeling good now, but then a year later, the same pain's coming back. Now you have this program that, you know, you can go to that will help you and make you feel better.
0: I see. So like, for example, someone that works in a, a desk job that has chronic neck pain from stress, let's say, Yeah. they they learn a program from you uh, involving stretches and exercises that can do to relax the muscles, they get better. And then a year or six months later, they start to feel that neck pain. Now they know, okay, it's manageable. I know what to do now. Correct.
1: Yeah. Either like going through like, you know, postural stretches, things to improve posture. Um, I almost might take it to another point too, where we take a look at the work environment. And say, how are the ergonomics of your work environment? You know, if your neck is constantly being strained, why is it being strained? It might be something that you're doing at work that's causing that constant chronic issue.
0: So checking like the height of your computer, the height of your chair, things like that.
1: Absolutely. And that's something that we learn in school as well is like proper height for monitors, you know, proper um, posture for like sitting in a chair for long periods of time, things like that. So we're going beyond just treatment And going more towards like taking a look at your work environment, taking a look at your home environment, seeing when other factors can play into that pain or dysfunction.
0: So then when someone comes and visit you, is it mainly because they are experiencing chronic pain or an accident? Or could it just be they just, I don't know, they work out really frequently and they start to feel some like knee pain, which they don't really know what's going on. Because at least that's where I'm coming from, where I can see some benefit to coming to a physical therapist.
1: Yeah, and it's all those things that you just mentioned above. Um, Usually we'll see patients when they've tried to exhaust all the things that they know how to do and they're not getting better. That's usually at the point where they go to the doctor and the Mm. doctor will send them as a reference to us
0: to help them out. As a physical therapy assistant, what like, do you do specifically to help people? Like, What type of modalities or techniques?
1: Well, as a physical therapy assistant, it's a little bit different than a normal physical therapist, um, but not much. Okay. A normal physical therapist is going to um, set up the plan of care. So as a physical therapist assistant, we're not allowed to do evaluations. So the physical therapist, he'll do the initial evaluation or what we call the initial office visit or the IOV. And then based off that initial evaluation, he'll set the plan of care. And then based off that plan of care, I can now see those patients on follow-up visits and proceed with the therapist's plan of care as to how to proceed to help the patient feel better.
0: And from what I remember, since I, I volunteered at the same clinic where you work, The plan of care is like a generalized from week one to four, focus mainly on, I don't know, stretching from four to six, work on X, Y, and Z.
1: Yeah. Sometimes it's dialed out like that. It all depends on the therapist that you're working with. Hmm. So there's some therapists who are going to be very um, structured like that. And they say, I want this, this, and this. And there's going to be some therapists who are a lot more generalized and say, hey, look, I know you have this level of expertise. This is kind of what we're looking at. So stay within this scope, but within this scope, you can do a lot of different things.
0: I see. And then you relay all that information back um, with the patient's primary doctor.
1: We relay back that information to the patient's primary doctor through like progress reports and stuff like that. But I also relay that information back to the therapist, either verbally or through my daily notes that I log in.
0: Okay. So then going more in depth into that plan of care, like what are some options that a patient going to a physical therapy's office can experience?
1: I, th- I think it varies depending on the patient's needs. Okay. Some patients um, will require more like hands-on work, more modalities, be it like ultrasound, uh, electric stimulation to help reduce pain levels. Some are looking just for more of like a home exercise program something that I can work on away from the clinic, more about strengthening and stretching of the muscles. So it just depends on the injury that you're dealing with and the patient that you're dealing with. You're going to approach that with that in mind.
0: I see. So it's very similar in terms of like personal training. Like You really just have to find that balance between what the patient needs versus what the patient is looking for, what they're willing to do, Slash what they are capable of doing in terms of time, in terms of like the knowledge that they have, in terms of just what they're physically able to do in terms like range of motion and strength.
1: Yeah. And it's also coming up with a plan. You know, a lot of people have very busy lives and you kind of have to explain to them not only the benefits of doing the stretches and the strengthening exercises, but also coming up with a plan so it's possible for them to do it at home. Cause I mean, I could come up with like, you know, a 20 page exercise program for somebody, (laughs) but it might not be appropriate if they have like four or five kids, they're working all day and they come home, have to deal with kids. You know, I have to kind of like par everything down so that they can have the basic, the most essential stretches and strengthening exercises that they could perform in like five to 10 minutes.
0: Gotcha. The, like the best bang for your buck essentially.
1: Correct. Yeah.
0: Uh, before we move and talk more in depth about the home exercises, I think it would be very informative and like nice to know and uh, like the benefits of like ultrasound and the TENS unit and the paraffin wax. Like I remember learning all about that stuff and I'm like, what? This is cool stuff. Like I want to learn more.
1: Yeah, there's benefits from different modalities. And I think a lot of patients coming in don't have necessarily an idea of what those modalities are doing Mm -hmm. and a lot of times therapists don't take the time to explain to the patients why they're doing the different modalities and the benefits of doing those modalities Um, when we're talking about ultrasound it's it's very similar to the same sort of ultrasound that they use for like a diagnostic purpose where like if you go to the doctor if you're pregnant they'll do an ultrasound and you can see a picture of your baby Mm-hmm. Um, if you have like a tumor that's like um, subcutaneous or underneath the skin, they'll use ultrasound to see if they can image that to see how big the tumor or the the cyst is. Um, where our ultrasound is a little different, where it's more therapeutic versus diagnostic in nature, is the energy output. So if you shorten the sound waves, if you increase the intensity of the sound waves, as those sound waves bounce off of whatever is underneath the skin, i.e. muscle, as those sound waves bounce off of the muscle, that sound energy is converted into thermal energy. So it's a really good way to get direct heat into the muscle, helping the muscle to relax and break contractions or break muscular tightness up so the muscle can relax and release and give the patient some um, relief.
0: Mm -hmm. So it's essentially like a more effective heat pack.
1: Correct. Yeah. Cause with a hot pack, if you're placing it externally onto the skin, your skin kind of acts as like a natural barrier mm-hmm. to help it's absorb like an insulator. Like an insulator. Correct. Because the inside of the body, you have to have constant temperature, which is what we call homeostasis, ninety-eight point six or something like that, where your body is constantly at the same temperature. So your skin will act as a natural barrier to kind of absorb that heat before it can really penetrate down into your body. So you're talking a matter of millimeters of penetration versus the ultrasound, which directly interfaces into the muscle.
0: And then there was, um, aside from the ultrasound, which was like the top recommended helpful treatment, the second one that I remember was the TENS unit. That was really popular and also very effective. Can you explain like how how that works, how it creates benefit yeah. in your body?
1: So TENS itself is an acronym, T E N-S, which which stands for transcutaneous electrical nerve stimulation. It's a mouthful.
0: (laughs) I'm glad it's called TENS. (laughs) There
1: there tends to be a lot of mouthful acronyms in physical therapy. Um, And what that means is that it's going to um, block the pain channels that lead to the brain. So a lot of people tend to think that TENS or electrical stimulation does a lot of things that really doesn't. What it really does is it blocks the pain channels leading to the brain. And the reason that's important is because it gives you a tool to mitigate your patient's pain levels, especially if they don't wanna go through traditional methods of say, like medication or of like using topicals or something Mm -hmm. like that. It's a a nice alternative to doing some other approaches to reducing pain levels.
0: And so the, the signals that the TENS unit produces essentially overwhelms the pain receptors in your body.
1: Correct. So if you have a pain in your elbow, right, you have little sensory receptors in your skin that provide information to the brain of what's going on. Mm-hmm. So take, for example, you take your elbow and you bang against a door, and it hurts, and it sends that pain signal to the brain saying, hey, this hurts. Your brain processes that information. One of the first things your body does instinctively and naturally is you go to rub that area. Um, A lot of times people don't realize, why does it work? Why does it feel good when I rub that area, especially right after I hurt it? The reason is that you're blocking those pain channels. As you're rubbing that area, you're activating those sensory um, receptors, and it's flooding the brain with all that sensory information. And your brain is essentially like a computer. It can only process so much information at once. Hmm. So if you're flooding this computer with all the sensory data or all the sensory information, The brain can't process it all at once so instead of trying to process it all it's like no 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 shut it down i see so that's how it can kind of mitigate pain levels and bring them down by recreating that same sort of thing when you put the patches on around the area that you're working on it's going to stimulate those sensory receptors and essentially block the pain channels leading to the brain
0: it's essentially like a physical illusion
1: Correct. Yeah. And is, there's other ways or other modalities that work in the same way. Like if you're wearing a neoprene brace, that neoprene brace is going to constantly have contact with the skin, mm. which will trick the brain into thinking it's not feeling pain. So a lot of people will have less pain when they're wearing braces. Um, it's the same way that kinesio tape works. The tape is in constant contact with the skin. So as you're moving the tape is pulling at the skin, is creating that sensory information that's helping to flood the brain with that sensory information and block the pain channels.
0: Nice. So, then very similar to both of these, um, the TENS and the ultrasound would be like ice and heat therapy. Whereas heat, it relaxes the muscles, same as ultrasound. But then, what does ice therapy mainly do? And I, I remember you mentioning it helps decrease inflammation, but is that the only benefit?
1: Well, it'll numb out the area. So, by numbing out the area, it will give you some pain relief. Mm,
0: okay.
1: Also, with dropping the temperature through that area, you're going to create what's called, um... Doo, doo,
0: doo, 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 doo. That doesn't help.
1: <laughs> <laughs> vasoconstriction.
0: Vasoconstriction, I see.
1: So, the vasoconstriction is constricting down the vessels, um, which will help to push f- swelling out of the area.
0: Hmm. And then the purpose or the benefit of reducing the swelling is what?
1: Well, with swelling, um, with interstitial fluid building up, let's say, in the joint, it's going to restrict range of motion.
0: Ah, okay. So
1: a lot of times after surgeries, especially with like knee patients, there'll be a lot of swelling through the area. So by using ice to help to push the swelling out, we can start to increase range of motion. Increasing range of motion is not only important for functional use, but also when we're talking about strength because the one job that muscles really have to do is to constrict and to contract, to move the different bones, to approximate them between the two bones through a joint. So if they're swelling through that joint, it's going to restrict the muscles from doing their work. Mm -hmm. Also, Mm -hmm. the muscles need to be lengthened because when they constrict, that's where they get the power. So if they're already partially constricted, you're only getting partial power.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so have, it's, it's like the like a, the mama the bear story. Like too much constriction is bad. Too little constriction is bad as well. You have to find that balance between like you're saying that mobility within the the muscle that creates power um, and range of motion.
1: Correct. So without range of motion, you're not going to have power mm-hmm. because the muscle is not going to be at its fullest contraction. Provide that power or that torque.
0: So then that's why it's also included in, like, your plan of treatment, a lot of stretching and strength training. Yes. From my experience, one hour of meeting with a physical therapy or even a personal trainer and doing strength training or stretching for, you know, an hour a week is not enough to create change. That's why there's always that at-home program. Can you talk to me, like, the the at-home program is a, like a mimic of the program that you're doing in, in the clinic or does it sometimes vary?
1: It'll vary. I think it's a continuation of what we're trying to achieve through physical therapy. A lot of times with the first visit, I like to set up a home exercise program because then we can get that continuation of care away from the clinic going on at home. So like you said, coming in and doing one or two hours of therapy a week, Is helpful, but it's not going. Sometimes it might not be enough for long lasting change. So if I can have my patient working on stretches and exercises at home, be it, you know, five to 10 minutes, those five to 10 minutes are going to add up if they're doing it every day. Now we're talking like half an hour to an extra hour of therapy. And then versus just one hour, now we're working with three to four hours of them working on their issue or their dysfunction.
0: Mm -hmm. You're just increasing the volume and that repetition of, The repetition
1: and the consistency.
0: Right, there we go.
1: So repetition and consistency is important because we're talking about lengthening and strengthening the muscles. So if you don't have that repetition, if you don't have that consistency of trying to work those things, then it's...
0: Well, your body adapts to what you're making it do. So if you get used to lifting, I don't know, like 40 pound uh, cement bags, I don't know if they come that light. But if, you're, if you get used to doing that, then your body is going to adapt so that you have the strength to lift those bags. And same thing with physical therapy. If you get used to, if you accustom your body into a certain position, maybe let's say you're, you're rounding your shoulders. After weeks and months and maybe even years of doing that, your body is going to adapt and say, okay, this is my new normal. It's not the healthiest, but this is my new normal.
1: A lot of times what we do is we, it sounds cheesy, but we lengthen to strengthen. And there's a a reason behind that. Lengthening out the muscles, like I said, we're going to provide more range. So that way the muscles can do more work. But without that consistent lengthening of the muscles and strengthening of the muscles, everything's going to tighten back up. Mm -hmm. So if we just have them coming into the clinic, I do a quick ultrasound, I loosen up your muscles. You're going to feel good for a day or two. But without that backup of the home exercise program, those muscles are gonna tighten back up again. And then the pain's gonna come back again. And then we start to go through this whole pain cycle where you know you come back, you feel good for a few days, then you come back and you feel good for a few days, and then you come back. So as a business cycle, it works. <laughs> but when you're talking about like lasting patient outcomes, you're not gonna get that.
0: hmm The biggest thing that helped me in understanding how our muscles and our body adapts to different changes in positioning is my professor, um, Jeff, actually, my professor Jeff, he said muscles are like two rubber bands on a, like a straw or like a, a stick, where if one becomes tightened, then it becomes short and tight, whereas the opposite, the other band, becomes long and taut. So sometimes you could feel pain in either side and it's just a matter of figuring out which one is tight which one is lengthened you str- you stretch out the one that's tight you relax the one that's lengthened and all the knots that it has but then you have to follow up with some strengthening to create that Lesting that positioning change, change. Yeah. yeah absolutely there you go and um, so then are there specific things that we were just talking about this actually th- are there specific things that you tell your patients or teach them that help them give that extra motivation when they're having a hard time following that at-home program?
1: That's a tough one. I mean, like, how do you sell trying to make them feel better, right?
0: Because you would assume a lot of patients, like, they're coming to you because they have pain that they don't want. So they would want to... Listen and follow the exercise program that you're prescribing them, but that's not the reality.
1: You would think, right? Right. Um, yeah. Sometimes you deal with like stigma behind physical therapy because it's come a lot around a lot over the years. Um, it's gone from like a pseudoscience to where people are like, "Hey, like this really makes sense," you know? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Huh. Yeah. When I first started out with physical therapy back in like uh, the early 2000s there's still people who are like, well, I don't believe in physical therapy. Wow. It's like, well, you don't believe in science? (laughs) Because essentially that's what we're following. We're following the science. Hmm. Um, It's not like some far-fetched thing like believing in energy of chi or something like that. You can point to like, hey, this is based off like anatomy. This is based off physiology. This is based off the science that we know that works throughout the body.
0: So then is the science behind stretching and behind muscles, is that just a relatively newer study of research?
1: I don't think it's necessarily that, but I think like people understand that there's more science behind it now Mm, versus physical therapy being lumped in with like, you know, acupuncture or um, acupressure or like different like metaphysical things that, people tend to look towards
0: mm-hmm. okay so then we were talking about how how to motivate a client to do their at-home program i mean does does do you meet with them and talk about like okay well how what gaps do you have in your day and help them problem solve because a lot of things including in the in the podcast is how do you find that middle ground or a plan that works for you? How do you take into account the mental obstacles that you create in your mind? And how do you create solutions for them so that you can reach your goal, whether it is uh, physical change um, or being pain-free?
1: Yeah, I, I think you try your best. I mean, you're not always going to um, reach some people, even though that's the goal. Some people are just having their mind made up like, no, I'm going to do this and this, and this is going to make me feel better. I've had lots of patients who've come in and say, look, I know my own body. I know what it responds to. And it's like, I don't know how to get around that. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like, you're coming to me because what you were doing and what your body responds to isn't working anymore. And now you need something else. So when you come in with like a bunch of resistance and you're not willing to change, you just want to do what's worked for you before, even if it's not working now, trying to reach through that or break through that, it can be hard sometimes. So a lot of times I'll try to break it down and just very simple stuff that I think might, they might see a change with. And sometimes I'll be enough to change their mind. Like, hey, maybe I should give this guy a chance. Hmm, like I right. did these two t- stretches and already I'm starting to feel a little better. Like, well, if I do more of what he's asking me to do.
0: It's really, it comes down to if they want to change, if they want to accept that, new information that you're giving them or no?
1: Yeah, because what my number one mindset or goal is with every patient is to give them positive out- outcomes. That That's what I'm trying to do as a physical therapist. Uh, not being an owner or anything like that, I don't have any sort of like um, financial interest in it. My whole interest is helping the patient.
0: Mm-hmm. And I mean, I'm sure it feels amazing to see your pro- your client progress from when they couldn't Do something, and now they're doing it. And not only that, they're surpassing, and they're doing something more advanced.
1: Yeah, yeah, and those are really the patients who like kind of keep you in it and like keep you excited about it. I remember I had one patient who came in, and she was pretty elderly. I think she was in like mid seventies to eighties, and uh, she had broken her hip, and she came in in a wheelchair. And the whole time I'm trying to explain to her, I'm like, "Look, like, were you in this wheelchair last year?" And she was like, no, I was walking around fine. I was like, so there's no reason to think that you can't walk around fine again. Like, I mean, if you give me like two to three weeks and do everything I ask you to do, I can almost guarantee you that I can progress you from that wheelchair to a walker. And she was kind of laughing at me. And she's like, there's no way, like, I'm going to be in this wheelchair for the rest of my life. And I was like, just give me a chance. So she gave me a chance. She did everything I asked her to do. And two to three weeks, she was in a walker. Wow. Two to three weeks after that, she was using a cane. And within like the last two weeks of therapy, she wasn't even using a cane anymore. She was walking around.
0: That's amazing.
1: It, it was amazing. It was amazing to me. and It's also amazing to her too, because like she had gone from a point where she'd given up hope to a point where it's like she didn't even think that she would just start walking around again.
0: Mm-hmm. That's that's very empowering. I can only imagine just how much, how much, not only like, pride and happiness that she felt for herself giving it a chance giving physical therapy uh, a chance and putting in the work but also yourself as well just like re that passion that you have for physical therapy just revitalize like the same thing with me when i see a client they 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 lift uh, a new pr or they reach a certain milestone like it really just gives you that boost of like this is the best job ever
1: (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely yeah, not only do you feel pride for your patient, but you feel, you believe in what you're doing. You know, you know, that at the end of the day, hey, I made a difference in somebody's life, and like you said, that's a powerful tool.
0: It is very powerful. Um, so then, that pretty much wraps up like what I wanted to talk about in terms of like the clinical information. But I think it would be really uh, helpful and a good takeaway for the audience to learn more about like just information that we have about how the body works and how the muscles work um just like for example like is there such thing as good pain that's something that that's an idea that gets circulated a a lot around exercise like push yourself just you know push through the pain
1: well i think when you're talking about the world of physical therapy versus like exercise there's differences um usually when we're talking about physical therapy and we're talking about rehab I want most of my patients to work within a realm of where they're not feeling pain because a lot of time pain will come to associate with muscular tightness, which will come to associate with dysfunction. Um, When you're talking about like working out, I think um, it's good to push yourself past your comfort zone, Mm -hmm. not necessarily pain, but like somewhere in your head saying, oh, I can only do 10 push-ups," and then trying to push yourself to do 15 or 20 I think is trying to break through that those barriers that you put down for yourself so I I don't think necessarily of pain as a good thing I think if you're hurting you should always stop but if I I think there is a benefit to pushing outside of your comfort zone and trying to push past what you think you can do
0: gotcha but then again it it just really depends because like for example um, someone might say if they're trying to increase their flexibility they should really push themselves in a stretch to the point where it hurts. Mm. Thinking that, oh, well, the, the more pain or the more I stretch, you know, the more f- benefit I'm going to get.
1: I, I don't think that's how muscles work. Like when you're doing stretching, I tell this to my patients a lot, you're trying to elongate the muscle. You're not trying to rip connective tissue. So if you're stretching to the point where like, it's really hurting, you're probably ripping connective tissue. <laughs> so it's you're not, doing more
0: damage than benefit.
1: Yeah, so it's not really a really good thing. And then there's lots of like disadvantages that you can strain your muscle, um, you can rip the tendons. So definitely listen to your body. I mean, like it's okay to stretch yourself to the point where you feel discomfort, but if you're feeling like sharp pain, that's your body telling you you should back off.
0: Right. The body is really amazing in a way in how it creates and has these defense mechanisms that stops you from hurting yourself.
1: Yeah. Just take a look at ankle sprain, right? When you sprain your ankle, what's the first thing that happens? It, it swells, swells up. up. Why does it swell up? Because you don't further damage the ankle and it blocks your range of motion.
0: You can't hurt yourself if you can't move your ankle. That's
1: right. So like, <laughs> you know, you talk about cavemen, right? And they're running away from like a woolly mammoth and they sprain the ankle. But guess what? It's going to swell up until it heals. And once it's healing, then that swelling will dissipate because the first steps of the healing process is inflammation. It also is a marker that tells your body, hey, this is hurt and we need to send it help. So
0: there you go. So speaking of like injury and if you were to um, hurt yourself, you would obviously have to go and like visit your doctor and maybe visit a physical therapist. But there are certain things that you can do to help prevent yourself from getting injured, such as like stretching daily um, or even like working on your balance so that you don't fall and then, you know, break something, hurt something. Absolutely. Um, But what about like repetitive movements? So one thing that I was uh, researching is how sitting for example isn't necessarily what's bad it's the fact that if you sit for a long period of time or just do any type of m- repetitive movement or are in a position for a very long time which is is what is damaging to your body what what is your opinion or your knowledge on this
1: well when you're talking about repetitive movements the first thing that hits my head is like um tendinitis that's directly how tendonitis is caused. You're constantly stressing the tendon. So if you break down the word tendonitis, um, tendon being the tendon, itis being inflammation, and a lot of times if you're sitting there and constantly working a tendon, it's going to get inflamed and it's going to get angry. So one of the first things that we do for like a lateral epicondylitis, like a tennis elbow, is we tell people, hey, stop doing that thing that's pissing off your elbow because that's going to help like Eighty percent of the time, you know. So if if I'm like a carpenter, right, I'm mm-hmm. constantly hammering, 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 and like, oh my God, I have like this elbow pain. One well, of the first things I tell them is like, well, is there any other way that you can do your job without constantly using that motion? And a lot of times, I'll give that elbow time to heal up and relax and decrease that inflammation through the area.
0: So is it aut- like an automatic situation where if you're just doing a certain exercise st- or movement, then it could cause injury? Or is it the fact that you're doing a repetitive motion incorrectly or in a bad angle?
1: I, I think a little bit of both. A little bit of both. Yeah. Okay. I mean, if you're doing the wrong technique, it could be stressing the tendon more. If you're doing it constantly for like a long period of time, it could stress the tendon more. So it's all about how the tendon's reacting. hmm um, building up muscles around the area so that tendon's not taking so much strain is going to be one goal. Um, creating more muscular balance to the area is going to be a goal. Decreasing inflammation is going to be a goal.
0: Okay. Yeah, because that's definitely something um, I remembered who I was reading it from. It's Kelly Starrett. I don't know if you've heard of him, but he, he's very much, he's a physical therapist. Um, his philosophy a lot is you should be able to move without pain. If you are moving and you start to feel pain, it's because you're doing an activity in like, an incorrect way, in a dysfunctional way. So, like you're saying, it's just that th- the consequence of a dysfunctional movement in a volume, in a voluminous way. I don't know what I just said, but it sounded nice and, and professional. <laughs> Um, So then what about like working out to maintain strength and functionality? Like since you, you're kind of in that middle ground between the exercise world and the physical therapy world, are there certain types of movements or exercises that you would recommend that really benefit people to maintaining their strength and their functionality, um, either whatever stage they're at or preventative for when they're older?
1: I I think you just hit to that preventative. I know a lot of different physical therapy clinics and um, professionals are looking more to preventative medicine. Um, and it's definitely something that we can incorporate in our role as physical with physical therapy is going to more of a preventative role. So not only helping you out from when you're hurt, but how do we also do it so you can prevent yourself from getting hurt in the future. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that would be through you know stretching programs, uh, gentle strengthening programs to help support uh, muscle and skeletal functions.
0: Okay. I would, I would add on, or I, maybe you can um, share your opinion on this. Cause something that I tell my clients is like you said, number one is just to stretch and maintain that mobility. Um, but also making sure that your, your workouts and your, like the workouts within your week are balanced. So some, if you're thinking of oh I want to I don't know increase my my legs my my glutes right so then if you constantly do like four days of leg workouts every week but then right it's it's not, it's overloaded and you're not balancing yourself out so maybe if you keep working on your glutes but ignoring your quads then that's going to create that dysfunction right again going back to that rubber band ex- exercise you're strengthening and you're twisting that one side of the band. Meanwhile, the other side is getting more stretched out and more in a less optimal position.
1: For sure. Like when you're working one body part and you constantly stress it, it needs time to heal and mm-hmm. needs time to recuperate. Um, that's where like, you know, um, parasympathetic uh, nervous systems when they come in, you need time to, to heal your body. It needs, the muscles need time to recover. So if you don't provide that, that's when you can start with injury. That's when you can get tears. Um that's where you can get strains. So a good stretching program, but also a variety of different exercises and different muscle groups used throughout the week would be optimal.
0: So then what this is gonna kind of lead into the manifest challenge? like, is there a resource resource that you would recommend where uh, people can go and, learn uh, different stretching exercises or even just, you know, exercises in general?
1: Yeah, I think finding a good program that's varied would be important. Um, One of the tools or resources that I use with my patients is when I'm setting up a home exercise program for them. It's called HEP2GO. I'm not paid by them to promote their website or anything like that, but it is a very useful tool. Number one, it's free. So you can nice. go on and access thousands of different exercises and stretches just by typing in certain keywords. You can type in hamstring, and it'll bring up hamstring stretches, hamstring strengthening, go and type in quads, same thing. You can even just go in and type in like yoga, and it'll give you a whole bunch of different types of yoga poses and moves that you could do and work on as pictures and descriptions. So for me, it's an invaluable resource because I can help build somebody's home exercise program using these tools and it's something where I have lots of options with it. I can send it straight to their phone. I can print it out through a printer. I can send it to them through email.
0: Oh, nice. There you go. It makes it a lot easier to maintain that routine and maintain that home exercise program. We And all those.
1: disseminate out that information.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Nice. I think that's a great resource. Um, so I'm going to add the link in the description box below. You can check it out, create your free account. Uh, and let me know which ones like you find interesting. I will put my own recommendations and see like, oh, like I like this stretch. I recommend this stretch, um, or exercise. And maybe you, you, Dan can, you know, pick out your, your favorite ones and then I'll add it to the description. Quads. (laughs) Quads. All right. Quads.
1: It's the number one muscle lower extremity that people use and ignore all the time is the quads. Stretch your quads, people. Stretch your quads.
0: There you go. That's the takeaway of this episode. Stretch your quads. That's it. We're done. We're going home. Good night. Drop the mic. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thank you so much, Dan, for coming. It's a really great to learn all this information from you and relearn it even. There were some things that I forgot that I had learned from you. So thank you so much for, for coming and sharing. And for the manifest, we challenge, we already kind of just talked about the he. HEP to go. Correct. It stands for a home
1: exercise program. HEP to go.
0: There we go. That's one more time.
1: HEP to go.
0: There we go. Thank you. Thank you.
1: My absolute pleasure.
0: So, thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you learned a lot. Uh, Let me know on Instagram if you have other uh, suggestions for guests that I should include into the podcast. Uh, Other than that, make sure you stretch out your quads. And until next time. Side effects might include motivation, empowerment, giggles, enlightenment, inspiration.